0: We return to the epistle of Paul the first one to Timothy page 1177 in the Pew Bibles page 1177 we're traveling through first Timothy and are in chapter 1 and I'd like to read with you verses 8 through 17 one Verses 8 through 17. This is God's word. May He reach into our hearts and lives and encourage and humble and comfort us through this great passage. 1 Timothy 1, let's start reading at verse 8. liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent or arrogant opponent opponent of Christ and the gospel. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst or the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost sinner, or as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. As an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's look at verse 15 as our text This morning, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Here it is. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This is God's word. May he use it to touch us today. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, John Newton Who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace? Grew up in the Christian faith. But already as an 11 year old, he went out to sea and he threw it all away. For 12 years, he lived an utterly wicked and debauched life, a slave trader. A drunkard. A womanizer. And the air around Newton was so blue with profanity that he was known on the ship as the blasphemer. That was his nickname, the blasphemer. Then in 1748, in a storm at sea, The Holy Spirit convicted Newton of his sin and he stared at his own awfulness, his own wickedness. He finally saw himself as he really was, a son of disobedience under the wrath of God. And he despaired that a wretch like him could ever be accepted by God. He was so bad. A wretch like him could ever be saved, no way. That God would ever take him back, no way. And then God touched his life with First Timothy one, verse 15, one of the passages his mother as a kid. This is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief or the foremost or the worst. And God displayed this such amazing grace in Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the apostle, to call all sinners to trust in Jesus for salvation. And so Newton called upon the name of the Lord and was saved. And the Lord changed him powerfully by the gospel And turned him into a warrior against the slave trade. Into the gentlest pastor England knew. Abounding grace on display to sinners. We want to see this morning. God's abounding grace on display to sinners. First in gospel truth for sinners. And secondly in gospel power for sinners. And thirdly. In gospel example for sinners. First, God's abounding grace on display to sinners, in gospel truth to sinners. The saying, says Paul, is trustworthy and it deserves full acceptance. What is it? What's the news? That's trustworthy and deserves full acceptance everywhere. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We live in a world where what can you trust is true? There's so many lies that fact checkers, fact checkers follow us everywhere to check up on what we're saying. And even the fact checkers can't be trusted because they're twisting the facts to push their own agenda. So how can you trust anything at all? What's true? What should we accept? Well, Paul says here's one thing you can know for sure. It's a trustworthy saying. It means reliable. You can totally depend on this. You can stake your life on this and it deserves full acceptance, he says. The word acceptance means welcome. You can totally welcome this into your life and receive it, and it will not disappoint you or let you down. Here it is. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is a message. Not from human beings who lie and twist the facts but from God who does not and cannot lie. And it proves itself to be the word of God by its own power to save sinners, even the worst. And that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. You know, when you doubt this word, look at my life. Look at what the gospel did to me. And he tells his own story. Here I was a blasphemer. I was an arrogant opponent of the gospel and of the church, a persecutor. And look at what God did to me. Timothy, I am living proof of this gospel truth. Ever heard of apologetics? Apologetics is presenting powerful arguments to defend the truth of the Bible. And powerful arguments to prove the falsehood of other religions. But you know what the best apologetic is, the best defense of the truth of the gospel? The best confirmation that the Bible is really true and you can trust it is biography. Paul says, I love to tell the story. It did so much for me. And that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. I'm living proof of this gospel truth. That's what's so striking about 1 Timothy 1. It, it really is a call to Timothy to fight the good warfare against the false teachers. It starts there. Paul, you've got to stay in Ephesus. There are people who have left the truth. There are teachers who are teaching a different doctrine. And he says it again at the end. You got to wage the good warfare. Okay, you got to hold on to the gospel. You got to teach and preach the gospel against the lies that are going on in Ephesus and in the church at Ephesus, Timothy. But in the middle of that, he preaches the gospel of how it impacted his own life as. Proof positive to Timothy that the gospel, the sound doctrine, is worth hanging on to, worth suffering for, worth preaching and teaching. Because this is the truth that will save sinners, believing sinners in Ephesus, and sinners who do not believe, but come to faith in Jesus Christ. False doctrine can only destroy you. It can't save sinners. It might make them feel good. It might tell them they're great. But false doctrine cannot save sinners, it can only destroy them. But the true gospel of Jesus Christ that's the gospel that's trustworthy and that deserves full acceptance, brothers and sisters. Do you ever wonder whether the Christian faith is true and trustworthy and real and deserving of your confidence and full acceptance? Well, the best argument is what it does to and what it does in those who believe like the Apostle Paul. Read his story in Acts 9 and Acts 22 and Acts 26 and Galatians 1 and 2 and Philippians 3. And be reminded, wow, what Christ has done is amazing. Paul was an opponent of Christ. That's his story. It was a true story. He was a blasphemer of God. He was a persecutor of the church. He was passionately committed to monotheism. There's only one God as a Jewish Pharisee. And then when this teaching came up that there's another God named Jesus Christ and you should worship him, he said, I'm on God's side on this. There's not two gods. Christ is not a God. And thinking he was on God's side, he began to fight against Christ and fight against the Christian church And the worst thing you can do is oppose God's Son and God's church. But because he was so passionately committed to monotheism, he became violently opposed to the Christian faith, not realizing that Christianity is monotheistic because Jesus Christ is God. And when you worship the Father... And when you worship the Son and you worship the Spirit, you're worshiping one God. To worship Jesus Christ is to worship God. And to oppose Jesus Christ is to blaspheme God. And one day the Lord Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus, planted himself squarely in front of him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Christ Jesus came to save this worst of sinners. And he turned him from a blasphemer into a believer. From a self-righteous Pharisee to a sinner. Somebody who recognized he was a sinner under the wrath of God needing to be saved. Turned him from a persecutor of the church to a preacher of the gospel. A preacher of the Christ. And if that doesn't convince you of the truth of the gospel, what else can if that doesn't confirm to you that the Bible is the word of God, the best apologetic is biography. It's also a good way to share the faith with others. Say what happened to Paul, but say what happened to yourself. How did God save you? What are you by nature, and what has he done to you? We all have, as Christians, a true story to tell of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which confirms that it is the true and living word of God. And it deserves full acceptance by the whole world. It's the only message that can save sinners and make them right with God and bring them to heaven. And change their lives and make them more and more like Christ. Well, we see that. Secondly, in the power of of the gospel for sinners. Christ Jesus, this is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance. What is it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul says six things here about the power of the gospel. Let's go through them. First, Christ Jesus came. The gospel is not that you have to clean yourself up and come to God. You don't have the power. I don't have the power. The gospel is that when God looked down and he saw that we're so stuck in our sin we can't clean ourselves up, he came. He came. He came to us because we could not come to him. That's powerful. That's awesome. He came to us while we were still unworthy sinners. That's the power of the gospel. Secondly, Christ Jesus came into the world. He stepped right into this mess of murderers and immorality and liars and self-centeredness, right into this mess of lies. And he came not as a guest, not as an alien, not as a visitor, but as one of us. God came down in human form. He joined the human race full of grace and truth. He had no sin. And he worked and he slept and he cried and he hungered and he was abused and he humbled himself even to death on a cross. Do you know of any other Savior, of any other religion, where God comes down? the eternal, almighty, infinite God who hates sin and becomes one of us. Third, Christ Jesus came into the world to save. To save. Not, first of all, finally to do miracles. Not to try to save. Not even... To make salvation available, but actually do the dirty work of getting into the muck and mire and fire. What does it mean for a firefighter to save? He gets into the fire to rescue the perishing. What does it mean for a cop to save? He risks the bullets of the enemy in order to rescue the perishing. Christ Jesus came to save. The sinners that he came to save are in the fire. The house is burning. We're under God's wrath. We're guilty. We're violent. We're hateful. We're drug infested. We're condemned. We're under God's wrath. We're on the way to hell. And he stepped into that to pull us out. He came to save. It's awesome. What other God does this for his people? This is the power of the gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save. Fourthly, he came into the world to save sinners. To the Jewish mind and especially the Pharisees, this is unthinkable. The Messiah was coming to save the righteous, the good people. He doesn't get close to sinners. He stays far away from them. He'll have nothing to do with them. He only hates them. But here comes Jesus to step into the world of sinners and go into their homes and eat with them and talk with them. And he was insulted as being a friend of sinners. This man has gone gone into the house to be the guest of a tax collector. They said he has a demon, but that's our God, the one who comes to sinners, to call us to repentance, to call us to faith, to trust in his son, Jesus Christ. We looked at the list of sins a couple of weeks ago in verses 9 and 10, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, for enslavers Think of John Newton for liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Are you in that list? Well, that's the list of the sinners Christ Jesus came to save right there. Are you in that list? Fifthly, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I'm the worst, I'm the chief. What it means here is I'm in the worst category of sinners because you have John Newton, the blasphemer. And at least he was flagrantly rebellious. But you have Paul who was supremely religious. A Pharisee, the foremost Pharisee. Paul says, and I did the worst thing a religious person who thought he knew God could do is to strike his Christ, his son, his beloved son, and to go after his people and to oppose the gospel. That's the worst category. So he looks at that category in verses 9 and 10, the unholy, the profane, the ungodly, the sinner's the ones who strike their fathers and mothers, murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. He says, I'm at the top of that list. I'm the worst. I'm the foremost. And he's not bragging about how bad he was. He's bragging about how good God is and how powerful the gospel is and how wonderful Christ Jesus is, that he came to save Paul. Category one sinner, Saul of Tarsus. If anybody's not worth saving, it would be him. Who is worth saving? Anybody? It's not about how worthy we are, is it? It's about grace. As Paul said earlier in verses 12, 13, and 14, but God's grace overflowed to me. His mercy came to me. Mercy is what God takes away from you because he pities you in your misery and distress. He takes away from you your destruction. He takes away from you your misery. Your unworthiness. And grace is what God gives you instead forgiveness, righteousness, peace with God, a place in His family, a place at His table. Never think you're out of reach of the power and love of God's grace, congregation. Never think you're out of reach. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, even if you're category one, sinner. One more thing Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am. I want you to notice the verb tense, of whom I am the foremost. You would think Paul would say, Of whom I was the foremost. But I'm not anymore. I'm still a sinner. I still need God's grace, mercy, and patience. I still have all kinds of vile stuff that floats around in my head and mind and desires. And sometimes I even act out on it. I still need grace. And that, too, is part of the power of the gospel. That as long as we live, even after we're converted to Christ, we still need God's grace, mercy, and patience. Lots of patience from God. Because there's still so much wrong. Still so much need for forgiveness of sins and the power of the Holy Spirit to change us. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Sometimes uh, as Christians, we think we're past that. Yeah, that's what I was, but I am no longer. Paul doesn't do that. I am the foremost. And God's grace just keeps coming to me. I need it every day. I keep calling out to him. Oh, wretched man that I am, he says in Romans 7. As a converted saint, I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to Jesus Christ our Lord. Brothers and sisters, never think you have outlived your need for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ. That's when Christians can get smug. I don't need that anymore. I've been there, done that. When we go to the Lord's Supper, we're not saying this table is a table for those who are saved and no longer sinners. No, Christ is calling sinners to come to him at the table. Believing sinners, yes. Repenting sinners, yes. People that hate sin, fight sin, confess sin, yes. Yet at the same time, we confess we don't hate sin enough. We don't fight it enough. We don't confess it enough. We fail in many ways. Our faith should be stronger and purer. Oh, Jesus, help me today. Remind me of the gospel today. The power of the gospel is needed by unbelievers And believers alike. Grace abounding to the chief of sinners. Thirdly, we see that it's on display as the gospel example to sinners. Why did Paul do this work of, or God do this work of amazing abounding grace in Paul's life? Yes, because God delights to show mercy. And because God loved Saul of Tarsus. And wanted to make him Paul. Yes. But Paul says there's another reason. If you look at verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me as the foremost sinner. Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. As an example. To those who were to believe in him for an eternal life. As an example. Do you need an example. That Christ saves sinners. Even category one sinners. Do you need an example? God provided one. Saul of Tarsus, the unbeliever, the violent hater, who was saved and became Paul, the one who lived in faith and love. So if you've never believed in him, Believe in him now. Let his display of grace to Paul prove that the gospel is true for you and deserves your full acceptance. If you've never believed, believe in him now. Don't say God has run out of patience for me. I've sinned my way out of his patience. It's over. Don't. Trust him. And the gospel's for us who do believe as well for Christians. I am still a great sinner. I'm still in great need of a Savior. I've been backsliding. I've been lazy in my faith. I've been playing games with sin. I've been unthankful. I've not been praying and witnessing. I've not been loving to my wife. I've not been respectful to my husband, as God calls me to. I've been letting the worries of this world get into my heart so that I'm no longer seeking the kingdom. I need God's mercy. I need God's grace. Well, it's for us too. When we come to him as sinners, pleading his mercy and grace and patience, he will surely receive us and welcome us and forgive us and commune with us. The worst thing we can do is say, I'm not that bad. I'm not that sinful. I don't need a lot of grace then we, like the Pharisees, deny the gospel, deny the Christ, and we eat and drink in an unworthy manner, not understanding who Christ is and what he has done for us and why we need him. But the way of faith says today, I believe this trustworthy saying. I accept this glorious gospel for me. I need this Savior in my life today, and I rest on his grace as my sufficiency in all my sin and weakness. Jesus, I come to Thee. Amen. Father in heaven, thank You for putting the glorious gospel of the blessed God to us in such direct words. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Father, we pray that You will help us to trust this gospel, Your gospel and to give it full acceptance and welcome into our lives. So grant that we may come to the table in full assurance of faith, resting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, to set us free and to bring us to God and make us your children. In Jesus we pray. Amen.